Merry Christmas to you all. You may be seated. It's good to be with you on this Christmas Eve. If you got your Bibles, will you open up with me to Micah chapter 5? Micah chapter 5, if it's right in the middle of your Bibles. If you hit Matthew, go over two books to the left and you'll hit Micah. We say a warm welcome to all family and friends that are visiting with us today. It's an honor to be able to worship the King with you, so we say Merry Christmas to you. Uh, this is not our normal meeting place. We actually meet at Aberdeen Elementary School, and we'll be back there on Sunday, so we're just coming back to visit the chapel uh, on Christmas Eve. But you got your Bibles again, Math, uh, Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 1, hear God's word. It says this, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor had given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. Uh, he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrians come into our land and tread our palaces, then we will rise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrians when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Well, he was born in Hodgenville, Kentucky. His house only measured about 16 feet by 18 feet, so it was small with no carpet, dirt floor, just one window and a stove. His father was a Hard man, hard worker, yes, but he definitely was not a nice man. His mother died when he was only nine years old. Because of his mother's death, they had to move a lot, so there's some instability within the family. And beyond that, he definitely did not get along with his father. If I was going to ask you this question tonight, to ask one question, what would you think this child would amount to living in this household? I think many of us would say he wouldn't amount to much. Maybe he would be a, a farmer like his father. But beyond that, if we were given the task to, to, to kind of evaluate this child's life in the future, I think many of us would say he wouldn't amount to anything. But our God is a God of surprises. Likes to use the low to shock the world. Who was this man from Hodgenville, Kentucky? He was the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. Again, if we were chosen to, to go out and pick the leader of the free world, I, I don't think many of us would have gone to Hodgenville, Kentucky. I think many of us would have gone to, to New York City, L.A., May, maybe go and find a big, big city with prestige and influence, and when we get there, maybe go and find a well-to-do family, upper-class, well-educated child, and say, yes, this could be the president, but that's not what God chose. Thankfully, we were not in charge because we definitely wouldn't have picked President Abraham Lincoln to be from Hodgenville, Kentucky, to be the next president. Thankfully, we weren't in charge because I don't think we would have picked the Savior of the world. 
to be from Bethlehem than raised in Nazareth. See, our God is a God of surprises, and we find so many surprises in the story of Christmas. And we love them. Because in many ways, we want, we want this story to be our own story, because it's a story of, from, from shame to, to glory. It's a story from humiliation to exaltation. This is the story we find in the Christmas story. In fact, we find ourselves in Micah chapter 5, this is, uh, Micah chapter 5 is taking the same place as what the two texts we just went through, Isaiah 7 and uh, Isaiah chapter 9. It's the same time period. The, the, the nation of Israel is divided into two camps. You have Judah on the south and you have Israel on the north. And Judah is now being kind of, uh, Israel and Syria are wanting to attack them. As we're looking at this, King Ahaz is in his temporary insanity. He makes the wrong choice. Instead of longing for God to be his protection, with Israel coming down to try to attack Judah, King Ahaz decides he wants to make an alliance with the Assyrians. This is the nation God told him, do not make an alliance with. This is the, the, the nation in which God said, hey, you need to, to have me protect you, but King Ahaz didn't listen. So what took place is, on, on, on face value, it, it did look like a good plan on kind of on paper, because what it looked like is, yes, if you go befriend your enemy's enemy, good way to keep the enemy away from you. Go and find the one your enemy's afraid of, make friends with them, and it seems like that would be your protection, but again, God told him not to do that. And yet because of King Ahaz's disobedience, we see the consequences unfold unto the nation of Judah, and at this time, King Ahaz has now passed away, and his son is in the line, King Hezekiah. And what we're looking at this is, as he's making this thing, it looks like, uh, looks like a good plan on paper. But when you befriend a tiger, eventually the tiger is going to bite. And what we find in this passage, Micah chapter 5, is the tiger biting. The Assyrians have now turned on the nation of Judah, and they're surrounding them in the capital city of Jerusalem, and they're wanting to attack. Which again, God warned them of. God says, don't do this. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 7, he says, I'm going to give you a sign just to ensure that you would know that I am a God who will protect you. The sign was a child being born of a virgin. It was said that by the time this child would know the difference between right and wrong, that the nation of Israel would be destroyed and Judah would be protected. But even with this sign... King Ahaz wasn't listening, and now Judah finds themselves surrounded. You see, they're, they're embarrassed in this time. When Micah 5 is written, they're, they're full of shame because the nation, the very nation they were told not to make an alliance with is now surrounding them. And the picture we need to get is with Judah now in the city of Jerusalem, and they're surrounded, they're scared, they're afraid because their lives are on the line. The enemy is closing in on them. And as you're beginning to see this take place, they're nervous, they're scared, they're humiliated, they're full of shame. And it is at this point, this point as they're scared, this point when they're afraid, this point in which the nation is coming in, that we begin to see their humiliation in verse 1. Verse 1, Micah 5, 1 says this, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. With a rod they strike the judges of Israel on the cheek. Striking on the, the, 
that King Hezekiah on the cheek was this sign of humiliation again. Because the Assyrians are loving this. As they're surrounding the nation of Judah, they're, they're shouting shouts of, of mocking King Hezekiah. Saying, you can't protect your people. You're inept of a king. You can't do this. We're going to destroy you. They're mocking Judah, saying, hey, we're coming in. They're mocking Judah's God. Saying, where is your God? Why isn't he protecting you? They're doing everything in their power to strike fear in the nation of Judah. In fact, we're told that they're actually not only mocking, but they begin to come up and, and slam their weapons against the walls of Judah. So Judah now is frightened. They're afraid. In fact, in, in, in there again in verse 1, if you catch those words, now muster your troops. That word muster in the Hebrew, there's kind of two ways to kind of translate that. In one sense, it could mean make an incision. So the picture there is they're literally cutting themselves in this weird kind of a, a mourning some believe that they're actually cutting themselves, having blood fall on the ground as they're calling out to foreign gods to protect them. Again, they're full of shame, humiliation. Another way you can translate it is just like the ESV does, is to, to call to arms. Whatever way you translate it, what we need to see, though, is the humiliation and the shame that is taking place in the nation of Judah. They're scared. Again, they're surrounded. Their life is on the line. And it's in this moment... That now the prophet turns to them and gives them hope. He gives them a promise found in verse 2. It says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. The prophet Micah points them to a greater king coming. A king who will be their savior, a king who will be their rescuer, a king who will come and make their story one of shame being transformed to glory. But here's the thing. For that story to be true of them, a story of being moved from shame to glory, their savior, their king that's coming is going to be one who has to embrace shame first, which that's the wonder of the Christmas story. A promised king coming, but this king is going to have to embrace shame. And as we read the Christmas story, we see shame and humiliation all about. I know many of us don't read it that way, but we should. There's this sense of the king of kings coming to stoop down in this world, and it's a shameful experience. We're told first that he's born in Bethlehem, a little tiny town. When we think of Bethlehem, we should think of Hodgenville, Kentucky. Like, what, what, what person of influence is going to come from Bethlehem? In fact, we see in this text, and Micah says it's the smallest of the tribes of Judah. In fact, in the book of Joshua, when, when Joshua is listing all the tribes that are a part of Judah, he doesn't even mention Bethlehem. Bethlehem is so overlooked, so small, that Micah himself, later on, beginning to describe all the, the towns and the cities that were destroyed by the Assyrians, once again overlooks Bethlehem. Too small to even be mentioned in the text. This is the tiny little city that God allows his son to be birthed in. And it's not Jerusalem, the capital city of influence. It's not Rome, the, in, the, the empire who's so powerful at the time. He's born in this little tiny city of Bethlehem. A city not fit for a king. So for this reason, J.I. Packer says that this is the story of, of self-humiliation from Jesus. This is the Christmas story. 
He's he's the humbling experience as he comes to this earth and and now he comes and being born in the city of Bethlehem, but he's born into poverty. We understand Joseph and Mary were poor. I told you this a couple weeks ago that here he is. The reason we know he's poor is because when he comes to make a sacrifice, his parents bring a pigeon. We understand what was required of the law was a lamb, but yet they made it an exception for those who didn't have enough money. They can bring a dove or a pigeon, and we're told that pigeons were, were so many pigeons at the time uh, as they migrated through the towns that kids literally could catch them out of the air because there were so many of them. Imagine that, kids. You can make a pigeon your pet. So we understand that when Mary and Joseph come, they literally could catch their own sacrifice so it wouldn't cost them a dime. And yet think of this. The king of kings, who was walking on streets of gold, came to a family who had no gold in sight. Their shame. Not only that, but when he comes, we're told that Mary and Joseph, they couldn't even find a room in Bethlehem, this guest room. There was no room for them in the guest room, and a place for them to stay. So they're forced to the outside to, to have a baby in a manger. And I know the picture of a manger for us is this cute kind of picture of Jesus laying in straw, but I, I don't know about you, but if you've ever laid in straw, it's not fun. And it pokes, it's itchy, it's the worst. And beyond that, we understand the cultural equivalent would be like this. Imagine you having your firstborn child. You go to a more regional hospital, but they turn you away. They say there's no room. And I know many of you, that's actually your story. You went there and there was no room. But eventually you got to come back. But imagine this. They say, hey, we got room for you, but it's down in the laundromat. We'll make a little bed. You can make your, your firstborn child. You can place them in the wash basin. This is a cultural equivalent. Who, who wants to put their firstborn child into a manger who has animal saliva still stuck on the outside? It's not a place fit for a king. But God loved us so much that he would embrace this shame. He was born, and we begin to see this, the, the shame and the, the humility, the, the poverty which makes what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians even stand out that more to us. Look at what it says in this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. That's the Christmas message. A message of a Savior who came and embraced the shame so that we wouldn't have to embrace the shame of our sin. In fact, in this story, what we begin to see as you're making your way through, he's trying to draw our attention to a similar story of deliverance, a deliverance of shame to, to glory. In fact, as you're reading the story of Micah, as he's beginning to tell this, of this coming king, immediately they would have been thought, thinking of a different king in Bethlehem. You remember another king born in Bethlehem? His name was King David. In fact, everything in this passage is kind of pointing us back to, to reflect on King David as well, to see the similarities between the next one coming and the great king of Israel, King David. We're told that, yes, Jesus, this new coming king, would be a shepherd. He would shepherd his flock just like David was a shepherd. We're told that as he begins to come, he's one in verse 2 of Ancient of Days. Again, pointing to the idea, yes, Jesus is pre-existent, but it's also pointing us back to this other king, King David. We're told, even in, as we look at the nativity story itself, 
We see that Mary and Joseph were were kind of pulled into Bethlehem because of the census that was taking place, which once again would make our minds think of King David's census. This is done on purpose. Purpose is that we need to see that there's, yes, there's a relationship between King David and Jesus. That Jesus would be called the son of David. Matthew, in his gospel, uses this term, this title of Jesus, ten different times. It's a messianic title. The son of David, the one who would come and fulfill the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel chapter 7, in which it would say this that one would come in the line of King David and, and his children, his son, would be in the line for all of eternity. And Jesus is the one who fulfills that promise. But there's a second, there's a second kind of reflection back on King David, and it's this, that King David's story is very similar. One of shame being led to deliverance, one of humiliation being led to exaltation. Remember King David, when, when Samuel the prophet is coming to pick the next king of Israel, he looks around and there is no King David in the room. King David is so forgotten that his own dad doesn't even bring him in the room because his dad thinks there's no way possible for my youngest to be the king of Israel. Shame, humiliation, he's not even in the room. But our God is a God of surprises. He writes stories of those who, yes, are humiliated, but he leads them to exaltation. And yet to think of this, that God would allow his own son to have that same story. To think of this because of Christmas, that God would allow his son to embrace the shame, to be the overlooked one, to be the forgotten one, to be born in a little town of Bethlehem. Why did he do that? Because he allowed his son to embrace the shame so that he would become the savior of the world and take away our shame as well. The Christmas story is this, that the word of God, the one who is called the word, would would come into the form of a baby and have no words to speak. The one who is all-powerful, who would walk later on water, would be the one who is now dependent on his own parents for their protection. He He set aside his power for a time to come to this world you see, the story of Christmas is a story about a future king that would embrace the shame of a manger so that he can embrace the shame of a cross, so that he could take away the sins of the world. See, our story is so similar to, to that of Judah. That yes, we too, I know we don't, we don't like to think it that way, but yes, we too are surrounded by an enemy of our own doing. This enemy is, is called sin. Because we too didn't want to listen to God. We wanted to do it our way. So we were disobedient to him. And the sin began to surround us. And it began to to destroy us just like it was going to destroy Judah. But the great news of Christmas is that this one Savior would come, this new king would come and save us, would would come and, and take away our shame because he embraced the shame of the manger to the cross, which then took away our sin. And the crazy part about Micah chapter 5 is you're looking at this passage is there's nothing special in, in Judah. On outside, kind of looking at, at the nation, there's nothing pretty about this nation. They're disobedient. They're rebellious. They're walking away from their God. They're, they're turning away, not wanting to listen. But God turns to this nation in Micah chapter 5 and says, I still love you. I still have plans for you. 
You are my nation. You are my people. So I'm going to send my son to embrace shame so that I can call you my own. And maybe you're in this room and maybe you have a similar story, yes, to Judah, where you feel shame, that you feel kind of this, this shame brought upon. Maybe you've done things in which you're thinking, I've done things that are unforgivable, and you're walking around with the shame of the world upon your shoulders. But the great news of Christmas is God looks to you and says the same thing he says to Judah, that you're his. He loves you so much that he wants to send his son to die in your place and take away all your shame, future, and past shame away. That's the great news. God says he, he loves you. Not only does he want to take away your shame, but he wants to, to give you another kingdom coming to dwell with you for all of eternity. See, the story of Christmas is again is of, of a story about his son. God so loved the world that he allowed his son to, yes, embrace the shame of this world so that he could take away your shame of your sin. We begin to see that not only that, but then he begins to invite us into this kingdom. You begin to see his kingdom at this passage. We'll end on this note. Notice what it says in verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock. This is talking about Jesus in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Speaking of his of this, this kingdom he's brushing in, notice where it goes. It goes to the ends of the earth. The nation of Judah at this time, it would have struck something within their ears of, as they're looking out and they're seeing their nation be demolished. King Hezekiah is known for losing land to the Assyrians. We understand that 46 cities has already been destroyed and the last one would be Jerusalem in the nation of Judah. They're surrounded Again, they're full of shame, humiliated. Their nation is being destructed. Their last city is, is, is the last hope with Jerusalem there, and they're surrounded, and it looks like they're going to be attacked as well. And it's at this point in which Micah turns to him and says, don't worry. A, a future king is coming, and he is, he's going to have a greater kingdom than this. Your shame is going to be transformed to glory because his kingdom will know no ends. And notice what this kingdom is marked by. It's marked by peace. And what a great word for today. I don't know if you've looked at the news lately, but it's embarrassing. Man, it's sad as you look at mankind fighting with mankind. We, we're, we're, we're just not getting along. We're segregated in, into our tribes, and the tribes are fighting against each other, but yet you look at this text, and it's the exact opposite. There's no division, but there's unity in verse 3. He's calling us back, the brothers, this great reunion of the saints. As we begin to gather with our families tomorrow, that's just a foreshadowing to what will take place in the kingdom. A great reunion of, of, of the saints gathering together where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come under the banner of the Most High King. And that's only possible, friends. He's our great Savior. Embrace the shame of the manger so that he would embrace the shame of the cross so that he can take away a shame of our sin away and invite us into a kingdom who knows no end. That's the story of Christmas. It's my prayer that this hope would be able to fill you as you leave this place, but one of the ways we want to end is being, being able to sing a song, and we want to do it in a symbolic fashion. I know we don't have candles here, so we're going to ask you to pop out your phones and turn on those flashlights. 
First service didn't do it so well. Maybe they didn't go to the rock uh, concerts earlier in their life. You've got to hold them up high, proud. What is this symbolic of? It's symbolic of the kingdom coming. That the one who came is a savior and he can penetrate the darkness. That we are the light of the world. That he's making his mission known through his church now. And we begin to sing this song, yes, hold the light high because this is the kingdom who's coming. One who came to, to demolish the darkness. One who has defeated Satan and his demons already. We serve a victorious king. That yes, has penetrated the darkness. Yes, this world is hard. But we serve a king who understands it because he embraced the shame of this world as well. Yes, this world has trials and tribulations along with it, but yet in the tribulations and trials, we have great hope that one day we're going into a place in which there'll be no more tears anymore. Going into a place in which there'll be no more sin, no more shame. Imagine being in that place in which people can read your mind and you'd have no fear of them doing it because your sin is no more. That's the kingdom we're looking forward to. Well, as you sing this last song, we're going to ask you to stand, hold those phones high as you shine the light that penetrates the darkness.